Welcome back to Roll for Enterprise, the podcast described as the squishy heart at the center of Enterprise IT. This week brings all four hosts back together. Yay! So it's great to see all of your faces. The audience does not get this distinct pleasure, but uh, with any luck, we'll be able to give you a lively discussion today. So we wanted to start talking about GitOps. Um, Zach, I think it was you brought up this uh, stat GitOps searches are up 96% over the last 12 months. And, you know, I think that's uh, super interesting on the one hand. But on the other, I'm a little confused. There's the whole idea of GitOps. Let's take a step back. Because if you go Google for GitOps, most of the first page of results is all, what is GitOps from GitLab, from VMware Tanzu, from Red Hat? And they're all called, what is GitOps? Literally, those three words. So the definition is that you version your infrastructure. You put your infrastructure into uh, Git, which is, you know, a version control system. But this is not a new concept. You know, when I was a sysadmin, uh, not quite in the time of dinosaurs, but, uh, you know, things were still in black and white, as my kids tell me. (laughs) (laughs) That was already the idea that you would version your config files so you could track changes. And if anything messed up, you would roll back the config file. And with any luck, that would fix things. Um, and this this was an approach which didn't quite work, which is why we got tools like Puppet, which just got bought. We discussed that last week, got bought by Perforce. We've got my own Blade Logic, we've got Opsware, we've got Chef, we've got Ansible and SaltStack, and, 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 that attempted to take that idea a step further. Now, as we discussed last time, all of these automation tools kind of solved a problem that we no longer have because we went all the way in on the cattle versus pets uh, analogy. And now all we have is cattle. It's all immutable infrastructure. It's all blow away the infrastructure when you don't need it and scale up and down and whatever. So why do we think GitOps is back in the news? Cloud infrastructure. I think as cloud is becoming more prevalent, I think we we like to assume that cloud is simple operations. I think when we talk multi-cloud, I think there are a lot of organizations looking at their operations when it comes to cloud. So I think we need to think like that a little bit. Um, you know, we automatically want to take it to to on-prem perhaps, or at least I do. And we think that, you know, cloud solves all these, all these problems, uh, you know, so it's, it's all in the lens. And I, I think it's, you know, there, there is a problem with, with cloud infrastructure and, and how do you operationalize that? It's not as simple, especially when it's multi-cloud to, you know, you can't just assume. And a lot of organizations, Mike, maybe you can speak to this. I, that I speak to at least as well, they're struggling in their ops environment. They don't have the resources, they don't have the people. So how do we automate that? So I think there's a lot of that going on. And, you know, there's a lot of searches out there if you think about it. So uh, Mike, I'm curious on your thoughts. I mean, do you, do you agree, disagree? I think it's because it's not the regular ops people anymore. So it's people trying to figure out how to do it. And, you know, a week after we said like infrastructure as code is dead, I mean, but I, I, I kind of relate infrastructure as code to like on-prem build your own um, kind of hyper-automated cloud. I think this is like a kind of different search. People are trying to figure out how to automate around cloud and automate the next layer because they've moved to cloud. Um, So yeah, I I would relate it to like hyper-automation, but I wouldn't relate it like to me, infrastructure as cloud is not it's not, I mean, infrastructure as code is not in cloud. It's 
it's on-prem hardware, right? I, I think it's it's really different. But yeah, it's just people trying to get the next level of efficiency is the way I would put it. I mean, I don't know. It's surprising. I mean, hey, it's doubled the amount of searches over the last 12 months. Is it is it because of where everybody's going? I, I think so. I, I think it's it's moved. It's moved on, right? Or at least people have moved on from the on-prem world to, okay, w- what am I doing next to make this better? And I well, think that's where they are. Yeah, I'm a part of that on-prem world as well, Mike. So you bring up a good point. I mean, perhaps, you know, I'm part of that group that's searching this, right? Trying to figure this out, right? Trying to take, again, trying to take that that construct or that notion to the cloud and, and we don't need to. So that's a good perspective. I think that's what you're saying a little bit, right? Or, I, I, I think you need to make... You need to make what you're putting in the cloud and what you're doing on-prem look the same if you're a company that's uh, in that space. This is why, like, uh, you know, people talk about on-prem cloud because you want tools to spend both, you want automation to spend both, and that's why people are are looking for, right? Otherwise, you're dealing with um, too many different, I don't know how to put it, but too too many different environments that require a different group of tool sets, a different, and and that becomes a real uh, pain in the pain in the ass for a lot of a, a lot of companies and that's what people are trying to get a, get away from right so yeah can the tool set make it simpler or is it the actual kind of on-prem build out that needs to look different which is why people are going like azure stack and yeah whatever aws has that's you know it's it's part marketing spin part reality of how you manage it so aws has a thousand different products <laughs> I, I would love to actually to push on that though, because I think that's I think there's a core premise here that we started out with, which was um, we don't need a lot of this because everything has become cattle in Dom's words, right? Um, and I haven't perceived that to be quite as true as people would like it to be, right? Like what we I think what we see over and over again are the words, well, test is a little different than prod in my world. And when I move it from on-prem to the cloud, it's a little bit different. And, you know, what we really need is somebody who is good enough at AWS to understand exactly how to configure the instances that we need for our use cases, which doesn't imply, by the way, that they're all undifferentiated cattle. It actually implies that there are still buttons and levers to push and configure, which might not be consistent and which might be executed by somebody who isn't an ops person, and which maybe actually isn't the homogenous VM-type environment of our dreams in 19, what was that, 20, 2005? It was a good year, right? Like, we all said they were all going to be the same. Every VM was going to be identical, and we could blow them away and restart them, and nobody would ever miss the last one. It has not come to pass. We still have a world of 75% consistency, 25% what the actual fuck is going on, right? What hasn't come to pass with VMware? They were wildly successful. They changed of a lot. Of course they were, but, I mean, but and, each and, VM was not identical to every other one. Yeah. Each, what, they were configured. Know, and, and, and what you're saying, honestly, is that's the mindset of a lot of I hate to say it, Lilac, leadership and failed companies that, that that think this way. I'm sorry, but they're absolutely you have to force change somehow. I don't understand your VMware analogy. I really don't. I think I think they changed tremendously what we're doing from an operational perspective. Oh no, enormously. Here's here's what I no here's where I think the the circle gets squared. So. This is just the latest example of my current favorite framing device for changes in tech is the pendulum of abstraction. So we overcomplicate, well, we complicate and we add flexibility and automation and capabilities to one layer of the stack. 
until it gets too complicated. And then we move to a level of abstraction, one, one up the stack from that. And initially, it's all nice and simple, and there is very little configurability, and everything is very similar. But in the process of using that in prod, people need that configurability. They need to make changes. And so we add the complexity and configurability to that level of the stack. And I was just thinking that as you talked, was in my intro, I realized I was making um, an incorrect assumption, which is all of this is only at the IaaS level, the infrastructure as a service, where the unit of measure is a VM, an operating system instance, what have you. And nowadays, the center of gravity is, at least as far as I can see, is moving one level up, is moving to the PaaS level. So we don't need all of this. And then I thought, actually, no, hang on, because as Lilac was saying, you know, dev is different from test, is different from prod, is different from customer acceptance, what have you. And right now, a lot of that means that you have to carefully replicate the settings that you entered into one GUI into a different GUI. And we are developing slowly the capabilities to migrate those configs and move them and audit them via APIs, via automated methods. And so I'm wondering whether that's the interest. It's not that GitOps exists. It's that people want something like the GitOps, the versioned YAML file that we used to wrestle with, uh, but they want to test a different layer of the stack. But I think that's the point, right? Everything below you or below where you're looking at has to become vanilla. And I know today yeah. it's not it's not vanilla because people are messing around with it. But like, but like, look at when VMware came. Like, no one. Yeah, but Mike, with... you just have to take away the root password from them. That's easy. <laughs> yeah, that's easy. <laughs> that goes so well. <laughs> but let's take let, let's take like you know people used to mess in assembly at once upon a time. No one no one does anymore because that became vanilla. Like right. the processor level became vanilla. And I I think what cloud has forced is companies to move up that stack. And I think the ones that are still playing at yeah the the hardware level are, are, are about to get like creamed because it doesn't matter anymore. And if you still have a reliance to make those configuration changes or mess around at that deep of a level, then I, I think your company, you're going to, you're going to hit some roadblocks on growth and on expansion and on making it a lot easier. So of course people are looking at like, you know, the, the, the whole reason people look at this like kind of hyper automation and, how to do it best and, and getting efficiencies because they need to do more with less. And if you're at that level, you're never going to be able to do more with less. And that's where companies are, are struggling because now you still have a large bucket of money going down that base level. When you start need to start hiring people in cloud who are experts in cloud who can actually talk cloud and not this like, um, you know, this this like the VMware guy who thinks he knows cloud. Right. So I think that gets a bit tough. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think like, I, I don't think companies VMware spend is going up. If your VM spend is going up, I mean, you, you have a bit of a problem uh, in how you're looking at it. And yeah, I believe all companies, their cloud spend should be going up if they're, if they're modernizing and, and doing oh, so. Yeah. Right? There's an interesting right? I mean, Gartner, yeah, there's an interesting Gartner report uh, in my world. So looking at DBMS uh, vendor revenue and, Cloud is at 49% of the markets, and based on trend, it's going to be massively above uh, on-premises. And it's also interesting to watch the uh, the mix of vendors change as AWS marches up the ranks, Google marches up the ranks. Microsoft, of course, has a foot in both camps. So right now, they're number one because they're in that position of being in both columns, but their percentage actually decreased. Not enough to take them out of the top slot, but they're, they're, they're number one with a, that, that little asterisk. Gartner also said that, I think, um, 
uh, they claim that AI apps are driving up cloud spending, but it was up 20% from last year. So that's more broadly, right? That, yeah. I think that's, uh, let's just say that, that it, it isn't shocking at all. It's sort of in, entirely anticipated. But we that's have to be careful when it comes to Gartner, right? I mean, who are they talking to? Mike, you touch on it a lot, right? Who's yeah. driving technology yeah. these days? It's the business. I mean, I'm not saying Gartner's, well, I guess I am. They're not, they're not as relevant with some of these studies. So we can tell these Gartner reports, they don't mean a hill of beans, to be quite honest to me, because they are not diving into the business. They don't have that discussion. They're not class. They're, so they're not talking to healthcare where a lot of AI is going on. I mean, they, they just don't have access to those people. So from their myopic little view, in my opinion, right, that that's those are their numbers. But there's a greater, you know, there's a greater discussion and, and more more out more stats out there. I think that they're missing. The thing, the thing is, if you want to become like everybody else, you talk to, to Gartner. If you're doing something different, like why the hell would you talk to Gartner? Because then your competitors are going to start doing it because Gartner is going to tell everybody and make it their own. Right. That's uh, that's kind of the, the playbook there. Um, but going back to what Dominic said, I think there's no surprise that the like so if you if you are running large data sets and many databases, I think there there's a there's a definite business case to move on to cloud quite easily as long as you go like to a platform service and I mean that that's the easy sell right It's how do you get everything else from a, a business case perspective onto the cloud that's a little that's a little harder but that's why companies are starting to put their arms around it and, and take it all up, right? So if you're a, if you're data heavy, database heavy, I think it makes complete sense for you. So no no surprise there. I mean that's just that's just obvious, right? Then maybe some companies haven't figured that out yet. I I don't know. Well some are worried about things like it depends on how you're using your data, right? I think to hmm. the extent that you're operating within the cloud, great. To the extent that you anticipate egress charges, not so good. Right? right. To the extent that this is cold storage and it can just sit there forever in case of emergency. That's a very different use case. And I, I think the challenge that I continue to perceive or hear is that, that even amongst Fortune 500 companies with all the dollars to drop on all the talent in the world, in theory, right, there's just a lot of um, how do I best configure this so that it is both operationally sound and consistent, but also not financially disastrous to me. And that problem hasn't been solved well enough. And I think you're right, Dominic, it's moved up stack. Right. So now it's no yeah. longer about about the number of CPOs and how much memory or but but the nuance of how we configure these instances and this storage and under what circumstances and for how long. And it, it just isn't yet a, um, a a sort of repetitive muscle that people have within organizations. And particularly to your point, Zach, to the extent that the business is ma making these purchases, this is not a muscle they have in that part of the organization. The problem is the problem is there's not enough good cloud solution architects, and that's why because the because the egress complaint. I mean, if if you're into like having extensive egress charges, you've done something completely wrong. Because I don't think it, I I don't think you should end up in that way if everything's been architected right from the bottom up. Sure. And I, and yeah. I think like so. So now think about this. Like I don't believe there's enough good. Uh, cloud solution architects. On okay. top of that, people are trying to do AI in the cloud. Like, do you think if they don't have any good solution, like cloud solution architects, they have good AI architects? Like, no, no, no freaking way. So, so I think the talent pool is is pro probably the the biggest problem. I, yeah, that, and that's my, my uh, personal belief, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think you're very right, and I think it's interesting. So, pulling the camera back uh, a few steps, I mean, we're talking about ops. And ops, and this is maybe because I've spent my whole career in ops in one way or another, but 
is always the overlooked factor. Uh, everyone focuses on, we can buy the shiny new thing. And then someone points out, yes, but the shiny new thing is going to need care and feeding for the next three to five years, depending on your amortization cycle, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. seven in the network world, Zach. And so we have to figure out ops. And so that's where we have all of these thing ops, the Git ops that we're talking about now, DevOps, of course, famously. There are things like FinOps, which does try to get closer to the business and look more about the economic impact of different operational choices. And that's a very interesting discipline. This is still quite nascent, I think it's fair to say. Gosh, uh, spin ops, you marketing spin guys are crazy. Ops is going to absolutely be the dot-com word of our decade, right? And so everything is going to be, you know, pets.com of, of, the, of our decade is ops. Pet ops. Pet ops. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, ops has been so like vastly underfunded for many years that I think companies like they like the these resources are overworked. They they don't have time to pick up new skills and and I think this will be the like this will be one of the roadblocks to many companies moving forward and improving and and really taking that next step in 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 their like enterprise IT setup. Like that. Yeah, that and you touched be. on it, Mike. You're absolutely right. A yeah, lot of them are absolutely. retiring. Right. We have a lot of these people mm-hmm. retiring a lot of the traditional infrastructure they don't want to learn or they don't have the desire to learn the cloud realm and world and then we have this other gap of you know this new generation coming in i mean are they you know they rooted in the same devops principles i mean it, it, it's very it's an interesting dynamic i mean there's a different channel when it comes to the cloud as opposed to on-prem they're two different worlds i mean it's um yeah it's it's interesting I'm really interested in the analog. Like, what's the analog in? So, one of the things that I always think about because I read, you know, you, you read the goal and then you read the Phoenix Project, right? And they're essentially the same book, but but different. And I'm curious, like, if I were to go into a car factory, what is the ops analog? Because, like, we think of the developers essentially as the people who are producing the vehicles. They're producing the thing that's ca- that's generating the revenue. But there has to be some something other than you know something glib like janitorial staff there's somebody out there that's actually making the machines work in the factory floor or or tuning them or maintaining them right and how did that evolve because obviously you can't run a factory the way toyota does without having ops working well so i can tell you uh some of that because i've been working with a couple of car manufacturers recently so one aspect is absolutely the the key thing for them is operational excellence in the sense of uptime of the production line. If the production line stops, they measure that downtime in cars not built. And, you know, even the cheapest car, uh, that adds up pretty fast. And if you stop, you know, the Porsche production line, that, that's that's bad. Uh, and so the way they do that is they instrument those things, you know, 17 different ways. Everything is instrumented. Everything is measured. And they love to try to get predictive models on that. And so they try to, but the thing with prediction is it gets exponentially hard. So they try to control that environment so that you can uh, try to have predictions that are going to be not massively off, that you'll replace the light bulb uh, no more than 5% out of its it's actual failure date uh, and that fits with your financial model because that way you keep building the Porsches. So that, that part is um, the effectively it, it takes these notions to the ultimate level, but they're also in a very advantageous position um, because they're managing these 
vastly expensive processes. And so they're able, you know, by and large, to, to get resources to do that. It's easy to point to the consequence of failure. Uh, they don't have vast estates. They have a few production lines, not mm. thousands or tens of thousands. So I think that's um, something that we can definitely learn from, but it's not, uh, I think, going to be super generally applicable uh, mm. to, to the wider IT. Hmm. But but I'll but I'll tell you where like if, if you go back to the Phoenix project and you take the car example, yeah. I, I think what's happened is the businesses have gotten fed up of the slow pace of IT. And and because of that, like resiliency and availability have to be a given in everything they build. And I think to some extent cloud is done right gives them that automatically, so they don't care about that. And what's happened that ops is not keeping up is Agile, agile development, agile this. So in business, like I can't tell you how many conversations I have with business people who come to me with problems and they are so technical, so IT savvy. And then they'll they'll say like, hey, hey, can you help me with this? But I'm not IT. And then I'm looking at them and like, oh, well, you're you're te- you're a technology person. You're like an IT person. You just don't realize it. And you in just, your domain. You, yeah. In your domain, you just need more knowledge to understand the problem and fix it yourself because this yeah. is what's happening in the world. I, and I think like from an IT perspective, I think the the IT, the enterprise IT role is changing so drastically that, you know, I, I, I'm not surprised that you see shrinking departments because I think it's becoming everybody's role. And like, I, I don't know, who, I, don't, I don't know who put the RPA topic in, in the agenda, but yeah, R, like RPA is taking over everywhere. But what is it? It's really like And it's not considered again. IT, it's considered a business function. Business and that goes back to something much, else. Hold on, much, different than digital, much different than digital transformation, right? So that definitely oh, yes. is yes, yes, yeah, that's a different thing. We all thing. know that. But let's think about it. I mean, ServiceNow, new capabilities coming into their release around RPA. I think people are focusing on that. Mike, you've talked about, you know, Industry 4.0, which is really hyper-automation, automating all these little devices. We've had automation in Industry 3.0 for the last 50, 60 years, but now it's how do we automate all these together? I mean, there's there's a lot going on, yeah. right? And I think... Um, and yeah. the answers are going to be domain-specific. As you were saying earlier, Zach, it's going to be more about getting the the domain expertise for healthcare and for telco and for financial services and for retail and for auto manufacturing the solutions in each of these worlds are going to be different. And, you know, there may be a common underlying platform. and maybe The, you know, base, tech, the base technology yeah. is going to be the same in a lot of places, yeah. yeah. But it's yeah, not yeah, going uh, to be an IT specialist who learns exactly. healthcare. It's going to be a healthcare person who has a tool like ServiceNow's San Diego RPA that lets them get more of their job done. Exactly, this Dominic. Is... And my point on Gartner earlier was these the businesses they don't they don't know who Gartner or Forrester really or IDC is. They don't they don't call them. That's not who they go to. So that's exactly right. They they know them, Zach. You know why? Because the vendors they're talking to are referencing those and then some of them share that with me, and I'm like, "Why are you showing me a guard? Like, wh- wh- where does this come <laughs> out of?" And it's because they're regurgitating like the marketing spin that some vendor gave them, and it- it's it's quite funny, right? Because then it's some like, "Okay, you're not looking," because then you start to peel the onion, and it 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 never looks as good as it actually is, right? But yeah, yeah. and I, I remember say when, some I Gartner, they, when I was at Gartner, when I was at Gartner, they wanted to start, uh, you know, a healthcare arm, right, to to go up against mm. Class, which is K L A S. And anybody in healthcare knows who Class is. They are, you know, they're who you go to for research and big research firm. It didn't really go anywhere because I think they realized really quick, right, that it's not that easy. You just can't yeah, no. go ahead and get, you know. And so that's my point is, you know, and uh, you know, if you're a healthcare, 
institution. You're right, Mike, you might call because some vendor comes in, they're trying to sell something, but you know, honestly and truly it's, um, you know, I don't put as much weight in the Gartner reports anymore. Or any. Uh, the, the other thing that's clear is like in the competition that's happening, it's really like everybody's fighting to get their platform in into organizations. So, so take ServiceNow, like, hey, we're putting RPA as a feature. Like if they can get like people to hook in and start using that RPA, they win. But who are the real people using, using ServiceNow? It's mainly IT folks. It's mainly, right. so, so where do you put RPA? This is why I say like Microsoft has the clear advantage because if people are using Office, if people have e-licenses, they have an RPA system. Like, hey, can I turn this on? Can I do this? Mm-hmm. So, you know. Excel macros risen again. <laughs> yes, Excel. <laughs> I yeah. think that RPA is like, honestly, I think we had this discussion about maybe it was AI. It's a tool that can be deployed against a, a million things, right? And some of those things can be IT-centric things like the GitOps story. Some of those things are, front-end applications, some of those things are, are literally just, please mimic the behavior of a JetBlue agent, right? And, and some of those things are back-end mainframe things, which is where my world in, engages with RPA. But the idea that it is, um, it's a tool, it's a, it's a screwdriver, it's a hammer, you can build a house, you can build a, a, a birdhouse, you can, right? Like you can bang on your car and break it. You can do all of those things. <laughs> like, so to me, like it's sort of the, this notion of it being a singular market in any way, rather than a, a, an approach or a philosophy just feels flawed. Tell me how you, what you would like to automate, what people's fingers on which keyboard and mouse you would like to remove or streamline, and I will find you the right mechanism for that right but like to sort of just say i have an rpa to me is a somewhat meaningless statement right Mm. i think people companies are going to have multiple rpa solutions but then again like if you really wanted to do it you do it at a a a level lower if you really wanted to automate something rather than you know and i know people hate when i call it like screen scraping and and so on but okay it is changing but to some extent some of it is screen scraping and then you make an update to a to a software version and boom everything stops working that they've built you know spent like five years working to build an rpa and then there's now there's one person handling something that really 50 people built you know it's it's Again, the efficiency also kills you, right? If you're if it's not done right, so yeah, it's it's a tough one for for companies to uh, to wrap their head heads around. But yeah, again, it just comes down to we need to do more with less. How are we going to do it? And I think it's it's not only in IT, but it's like everybody's job. It's that that it's it's merging into or it's it's moving into. Yeah, maybe what we'll see is the emergence of a new breed of consultancy that helps companies do their RPA. And these consultants will have that domain-specific expertise. If you're a healthcare company, you hire the healthcare consultants, and they may all be using ServiceNow or you know whatever else, whatever other RPA tool, but they layer on their own libraries, their own skills, their own you know, know-how. And that that's how they differentiate. Or vendors build this capability in-house. So in uh, MongoDB, we have our own industry solutions group, and it's staffed by people who come from the domains that we're trying to support. Uh, so we have people who come from financial services who have deep experience, and they can talk the lingo to financial services people. And so these are all different paths that uh, I think the market will explore. What, what, what I see, Dominic, and, and maybe 
coming from Mongo, you see this this as well. It's like I, I see like this explosion of data, this explosion in people trying to understand and get data at their fingertips. Then it's it's becoming this like, hey, we're going to build business intelligence reports, and then they start to automate on top of those those business intelligence reports. Is that something that 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 is happening everywhere? I mean, th- this is how I see kind of the stack evolving, and where there's so much focus and so much help that people need because they don't get the governance and the yeah the data quality and it like it, it's really starting to get messed up in in some places as you start to dig in because once you get to let's say doing ai on top of some of this data then you realize that whoa this isn't the way it's supposed to be that's it so i think we're at that point of maturity where people were doing their own thing so team a would have uh, their own approach to their own data problem and team B across the hallway would have a completely different approach to their different data problem. But the company trying to get an overall handle on all its data is realizing, hang on, this this doesn't work. And so different approaches are emerging. Either you figure out how to merge these systems together or you migrate to the one true system or you have common data formats to exchange. One true system, Dominic. Oh, yes. <laughs> one ring to rule them all. That <laughs> definitely is going to work. That has always been the approach in IT throughout time. Just because it never worked all of the other times doesn't mean <laughs> that it won't work now. Yeah. This no. is the Gutenberg Bible solution. We're going to do this. Exactly. So, and But that then brings, uh, so lots of companies are still at that phase. How do we break the data silos? How do we get an overall view and overall handle, overall compliance control over all of this? Uh, and the more mature ones are at the, the the next step of okay now how do I manage the life cycle of of all of this data how do I figure out what's still useful what's not uh, what's dangerous what's going to get me in trouble uh, if it leaks or if I still have control over it when I shouldn't it starts to get uh, very complex and and you know that's that pendulum once again it was each of those siloed solutions was solving a problem that somebody had and that then solved that problem and in the process created more problems further down the road. And on that happy promising note, (laughs) (laughs) once we brought everyone into the darkness and bound them. Maybe next week we should be optimistic on the podcast. No, this is IT. We drink quietly. That's (laughs) the closest we get to optimism. But no, so GitOps, uh, probably a thing. Uh, I love just seeing uh, old ideas come back around again, have their moment once more, and especially the ones that have been around more than once. Oh, hi, old friend. <laughs> so it's good to see that. But that has been um, a fascinating discussion. Uh, please do join in with us uh, by following the show on Twitter at Roll4Enterprise with the number four or on our LinkedIn page. Uh, The theme music is by my good friend Renato Podesta, and we will be talking to you again next week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks.